Hello and welcome. My name is Sophia Besch and you're listening to the CER podcast. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the CER podcast series on the economics of populism. Uh, my name is John Springford. Uh, I'm Director of Research at the Centre for European Reform. And today I'm in conversation with Agnes Benesi-Kere and Martin Helwig. Um, Agnes is Professor at the Paris School of Economics and uh, she's Chairperson of the French Council of Economic Analysis. And Martin is Director of the Max Planck Institute for Research on Collective Goods and a Professor of Economics at the University of Bonn. So uh, an incredibly difficult conversation which we've just had a session which lasted about uh, an hour and a half discussing. The question is, has trade liberalisation and financial globalisation gone too far? Um, I'd like each of you to try and answer that question in 60 seconds, if you possibly can. Martin, do you want to go first? Well, as I mentioned in this session, the question is really, what's the normative standard that's implicitly assumed? What's the objective? What are the constraints? If we think about the objective as simply being efficiency, the answer is it can never go too far. But then we're just uh, the elitist intellectuals who are part of the overall problem. Uh, we need to see first that efficiency is not the same as welfare, that distribution matters. We need to see second that if you go too far in one direction, the strategies may become politically unviable. And we also need to see that the people who make them unviable are part of the polity and therefore should be part of our welfare criterion. In practice, what we really are talking about is distribution effects that come not just from trade liberalization, but also come from technical change. They also come from the fact that someone who has earned rents from trade, like British export industries of the past, may lose them if somewhere out there in the world someone else competes these rents away. And the same is true domestically if you do away with the domestic uh, monopoly. So to some extent, we're talking about dissatisfaction with the distributive effects of the capitalist process altogether, and not just in trade. And then the question is, what's the governance? Who regulates this? If you have political cartels that can prevent these processes, and of course, the political development that we've had has been a development where the governance of such regulation has changed, moving to Brussels, moving to international agreements, and while that has destroyed some of the old political cartels, it's led to a lot of dissatisfaction. Sometimes the losers are poor people, sometimes the losers are people who are quite rich on unjustified rents. That was that was very good. That was about two and a half minutes. Um, Agnes, do you think you can do uh, do better than Martin? <laughs> I think there is a wide agreement on the fact that trade globalization has brought uh, a lot of uh, welfare gains. Um, the question is more on financial globalization. To a certain extent, financial globalization is a complement to uh, trade globalization. But at the same time, financial globalization makes it uh, more difficult to reap the gains from trade globalization. For instance, it's more difficult to tax mobile, more mobile bases. 
and uh, also financial globalization uh, raise, uh, introduces new uncertainties uh, and uh, uh, some shocks that need to be addressed and possibly also inequalities. Also, uh, it, uh, financial globalization makes it more difficult uh, for governments to uh, run uh, macroeconomic policies. So, but I think that the most important uh, point is uh, whether uh, national governments are willing to uh, compensate the losers or to make, uh, to, uh, to, to make potential losers not losers, in fact. Mm -hmm. So to conclude, um, globalization could go even further uh, if there is more international coordination, uh, for instance, on taxation. Mm -hmm. And secondly, if there is more political willingness to share the gains from, from globalization, that is really key. If there is no uh, willingness to share the gains, then it's not sustainable. That was brilliant. That was a minute and a half, which is pretty, pretty fantastic. Two, two really key points came out of the, uh, the discussion for me. Um, and I, I'd be interested to get each of your views on it. The first point is, and it's about your, your question about compensation. To what extent should we compensate individuals as opposed to regions? And obviously the background to that question is the fact that, you know, the regional concentration of the Leave vote, say, in the Brexit referendum uh, was very strong um, and was clearly correlated with regions which had been suffering from import competition and had also been suffering from, you know, broad liberalisation project of the UK economy more generally, not necessarily entirely in terms of international economics, but also domestically. And then the the second question, I guess, which I'd be really interested to hear from Martin is, um, and, and, it's, and it's related, is the, the welfare state as it currently is constituted in Western Europe, is it something which is doing enough, in your view, to be able to provide some compensation for, you know, the, as you put it, the effects of capitalism? Do you want to take that one first, Martin? First, I think it would be very bad if we introduced a property right to compensation for the simple reason that there is some rent dissipation which is good and we cannot really distinguish them. That means two things. First, at the level of individuals, we do need a viable welfare state. Is the welfare state currently doing enough that varies from country to country? The so-called euro crisis has made big changes in that respect in some countries. In the case of Germany, the so-called Hartz reforms of the early 2000s have also made a big change. One could go into a long discussion about details of, of, of those effects, but that's a very relevant question where, in the end, the answer depends on value judgments. My other line of reaction would be, if we think about regions, I don't want to compensate regions. I want to have economic policies that make sure that different regions all are attractive for new developments. Some of the agglomeration effects that we see in particular in this country, but also in France, have to do with artificial effects coming from the organization of government. Agglomeration effects in Germany are weaker because the, uh, these uh, distortions are smaller. There we need to think about offering people and that may not mean individuals. I mean, the 50-year-old who gets laid off is not going to benefit from a new development of a fancy new industry. But it's important that this 50-year-old sees that 
family structure and family relations remain intact because the children have wonderful prospects uh, in new places. And yes. The question is whether you can do something at the regional level. And uh, we didn't discuss this morning whether we can have an industrial policy and what kind of industrial policy uh, to give uh, a future of an entire region. And this is a very difficult uh, question because normally uh, you should not uh, have too much uh, Um, public intervention, but at the same time we know that um, you need some key infrastructure or key um, schools or whatever uh, which are coherent and that the public sector could uh, help to introduce a coherent strategy. The question is whether it's going to to, um, uh, to succeed or not and uh, to accept that in many cases it will fail. So are we prepared to, to, to invest with a negative return, this mm -hmm. is, uh, because by construction it will not succeed in all, in all places because it also depends on local dy dynamism and uh, willingness to, to, to make progress. And probably uh, you need to identify at least one strength, which can be uh, tourism, it's an attractive place, it can be the existence of a big city, so you can reap agglomeration effects, it can be also infrastructure, it, It, it's well connected to, to different areas that you need to have to identify at least one strength otherwise I think uh, it's, uh, it's hopeless. Well, thank you very much. I mean, that's some helpful advice for uh, the British government, which is deciding that it's going to start pursuing an industrial strategy after um, issuing one for many decades. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for listening. If you like the CER podcast and this mini-series on the economics of populism, you can subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud for regular updates. And let us know what you think. Give us a rating and a comment on iTunes and join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag CERpodcast. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. You can find more on our website, cer.org.uk, or follow us on Twitter at CER underscore London.